I'm Frederick Yurton, and I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farha. I'm the advocate. So, Miss Farah, so we're back again. Yeah. And you know what? The, 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 I was checking the, the you know, numbers of podcasts. It's really important. We now have audience in 64 countries. Amazing. That is global. Yeah, it's global. It's amazing. And I think as you are the global director of the shift, I mean, whatever you do, whatever you touch is global, of Should course. Be. So it's thanks to you. That's cool. And, you know, there is also a lot of people out there listening to us. And there's also a lot of hope. And there is one very special hope who has sent us. It's 17-year-old Hope from London. Let's listen to, to Hope. Dear Leilani, my name's Hope Bhagva, and I'm currently a 17-year-old student in the UK. Having recently watched your film Push, I was inspired to write to you. The information in your film really shocked me. I'd been studying geography at school for four years and yet Blackstone hadn't been mentioned once. We've been taught the supposed benefits of gentrification as a means of regenerating and improving an area, rather than showing us the real-life consequences of what companies like Blackstone are doing. Watching your film, I couldn't believe how incomprehensibly far we've now come from the small-scale gentrification that we'd been discussing in class. Since watching your film, I've also really been enjoying the podcast series. Both your film and listening to the podcast have really inspired me to become a local activist, getting involved in housing and politics in my area and across the UK. As I'm also five foot two, I love the quotation in your film. I've always felt intimidated at the prospect of challenging others by standing up for what I believe and am passionate about. You taught me that what really matters is just getting your voice heard. I can't tell you how inspirational your work is and I really look up to you in everything that you're doing. Don't worry if not, but I was also wondering if there was any way I could get involved in your project, The Shift, maybe volunteering or working on the movement in some way. In my school, I also run a geography film club and I would love to be able to show your film once it's released in the UK in order to get the message out to my generation, hopefully encouraging some other people to become active. I don't know whether this would be possible, but I was also wondering whether you would consider doing an online introduction or a Q&A session if we were able to show the film. Once again, I realise that you must be really busy, so don't worry if it's really not possible. Thank you so much for being a great role model. I'm so glad that I found your film, and I'm looking forward to the next next podcast episode too. I hope you have a great rest of week. All the best. Hope, Barkfer. Hope. Hope. You're, you're in the next podcast, <laughs> Hope. And, and thank you so much for your, to just listen to your voice. We are really, we're so happy. And I mean, I also like these 5.2 five girls. It's like, there are some <laughs> strengths there. We're going we're gonna to form a club. I've since been in touch with Hope. And we agreed we're going to form a club, the 5.2 club. Oh, Hope is totally amazing totally amazing when so she sent me an email originally and uh it just she, 17 years old and she's so articulate and courageous for um well for reaching out i think it takes a lot of 
um, courage to do that, you know? Yeah, but you know what? Are you, young people are not stupid. Yeah. And I think hope in many ways represents a lot of young people around the world. And we've met many when showing the film. And, and you know, Hope asked for screenings in, at her school, yeah. at the film club. We can, we can make it happen because we also have a UK distributor who is working on the film. So, so we are doing a lot of those, those things, Hope. But also, the film in its career around film festival mm. already got two jury prizes from the the young jury in, in Docs Barcelona and also in, in Kassel, so in Germany. So the, the young audience is, is taking this film well. And I, I'm, I understand it because this issue is really very much about young people's life situation because you're know, about to get their first home and it's almost impossible. But also, I, it's for me as a filmmaker, I'm happy that that it's, the film is not too complicated. I think I, I want to make films that are also understandable for people who have not been in the financial business for 50 years or so, <laughs> which I haven't in anyway. So we should talk about gentrification, Leilani. Gentrification, yeah. What what is that for you? Is that something you've been using in your work? Well... I love that Hope herself seems to have figured out that there's a big difference between what she had been taught about gentrification and what she learns in PUSH, which in my opinion is not gentrification. It is absolutely, um, I mean, I think that the distinction is super important. And in fact, Frederick, it was you who first drew me to that distinction. You were really deeply troubled that people kept calling what we were witnessing around the world as gentrification. And you always said, it's, you think it's a sloppy term. So I'm interested to know sort of what about that gets you or what, what made you land on that? Because I, in my neighborhood here in Malmo, a neighborhood called Möllewongen, which was a classical working class neighborhood that was then became an immigrant neighborhood in the 60s and the 70s. And then it became like a, a younger, uh, a mix of younger working class and immigrants, that, that kind of vibrant, cool neighborhood, but still with a very low incomes. And, and we formed a community group in the 90s uh, because we didn't want to have... Uh, Drag, drug addicts in the playground for the kids. We want, didn't want the police to arrive late with, you know, with swinging around. We wanted them to be there early on and to, you know, to stabilize the community. We wanted a, a better school. We wanted a lot of things. We wanted the, the, the backyards to be greener and safer for us who live there. And, you know, so I think when a community is protect our neighborhood, I think that's a cool thing. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, in one way, when a community is moving or being responsible, yes, of course, then the, the, the neighborhood becomes safer, nicer to live there. Maybe some new restaurants and shops move in because it's like it's so there is it is we were driving some kind of gentrification. Right. But I mean, would, would a, a better alternative to be ah, let's more drug addicts in, you know, let's <laughs> kill some more people in the streets, you know, it's. Because then, you know, the gentrification might not happen. So I think, and it's also one other thing with this kind of gentrification thing is that you're pointing finger towards a gentrifier. Oh, 
have a look, a guy with a long beard, mm. you know, that's a gentrifier. Mm. He opens a hipster coffee shop, <laughs> you know. Oh, there is a gallery. The gallery is a gentrifier. Let's smash the windows of the, of the gallery. You know, this, this, it's a very stupid conflict. Mm. And you're actually framing the, the, the wrong enemy, you know. And so I, I think that's, that's a big, it's a big mistake. And I think the left has been caught in this for 20 years, mm. uh, this gentrification thing. And, and, and by that, they're also missing out a very important understanding on what's cooking, yeah. you know. And yeah. that's why, uh, that's actually one of the reasons I wanted to do push. Mm. To, to better understand what are the driving forces uh, in the changes of our cities. So I think actually we should listen to the trailer of the film. It's of course, it's you won't see the beautiful images, but you will hear some people talk about this word, gentrification. Let's play the trailer. You know, the first sign that you're going to have to leave your neighborhood is when vintage clothing shops show up. <laughs> then the housing value is going to go up and then they're all going to get the push. In the greater Toronto area of the last 30 years, housing prices have increased by 425%. Then we start asking, who's gonna live in cities? Who are cities for? They wanna raise the rent up to like $900 each. If it goes to 3,400, then I have to make at least $100,000 a year. I've seen the whole area change. They start buying up properties because it's a fantastic investment for them. When I hear people today saying it's gentrification, one reaction, an ironic reaction is, if only. It's much deeper than that. Owning the house is only a means to making money. New owners have taken over. We haven't met them, we haven't seen them, we don't know anything about them. It could be Frosty the Snowman for all I know. <laughs> I heard one of the councils said, if you can't live in Notting Hill, then you shouldn't be in Notting Hill. Who the fuck is he to say something like that? I can stand in the middle of the street and no traffic coming. Paradisi fiscali sono il luogo dove il capitalismo legale si incontra. Gold is not a human right. Housing is. We need to reclaim the fundamental right to housing. So that was the trailer of Push, and we could hear some some voices from around the world. Michael Lewis Johnson, the bartender and musician at the Amazing the communist daughter, which is called a, a very cool bar in what is called Little Portugal in, in Toronto, an amazing place and an amazing man. And, and I know Michael Lewis, he, he had to, I mean, he had to leave the neighborhood because it became too expensive. Mm. People, you know, a lot of the people who have created a vibe in the neighborhood are all evicted, right. you know, and they, they have moved out. So that's, and then you could say, is this gentrification or is it something else? Mm. And we met also Derek Owens in Harlem. Do you remember I we were do. up? It, you know, Derek lives in a 1700 unit block built like in the 70s, 80s in, in Harlem. And it's not a cozy place. And he was, his rent was up to $3,500 a month. And and he couldn't afford to stay. And is that gentrification? I guess my feeling about gentrification is there's something 
sometimes, like what you described in your own neighborhood in, in Malma, Frederick, there was something organic about what happened. And if you switch and look at this from a financialization point of view, there's nothing organic about it. The financial actors are just moving in wherever they can get profit, where they can extract profit from property or from land. And so it, it's not about um, creating nice parks or getting rid of, rid of drug dealers or, or even, it's not even about making sure that Frederick can have his Cortado and a yoga studio to go to. It's, it's something else. It's only about profit extraction and and I think that was Derek's experience it wasn't it wasn't that Harlem needed to be gentrified or or you know the the problems of Harlem have already been dealt with the crime rates are down all of that stuff Harlem is is in fact already a sought-after place to live it's that his rent was deemed undervalued it was set too low, and those big financial actors know that they can move in and squeeze more profit out of the building. Um, so, I mean, that's how I come to the issue, really. I feel like... This, I mean, talking about my neighborhood, it's it's not still not totally safe. And, you know, so a lot of people don't want to live there because it's, it's too much drug dealings going on. But still, you know, guys like Achilles, I know mm. you as a UN special rapporteur made a special report communication around Achilles because they're active in Canada, in, in Berlin, yes. in Spain, many countries, and they are all all famous for pushing up the rents with very small, you know, they, this kind of uh, concept renovations uh, that they make to be able to push up the rent. Yeah. It's, in, it's also an extremely financialized model of running a housing company. Yeah. So it's so... We also have them in our neighborhood, so it's it's so we can see the, the the total thing happening. I would say that still, we even if they are in, we still have many of the same problems in in my community. That's you know? right. That's right. So it's they they don't even they don't even participate in in a, any process to make our lives better. No, and I think. They show no interest in community, right? That's not no. their interest. Their interest really is in their shareholders and maximizing profits for those shareholders. I One of the places that I experienced this divide uh, between financialization and gentrification was in Porto, Portugal, one of the most beautiful cities, in my opinion, in the world. Um, and Porto, the historic center, uh, was very uh, problematic, socially problematic. There was a lot of drugs in the, the center, um, prostitution, um, really tough living. At the same time, there were people who were living there, uh, older people in particular. And um, the city decided that it had to clean up that area, that historic center. So they started to do that, which is a great thing because it's beautiful. And it I mean, I think it, it's UNESCO protected, etc. Uh, but what happened was in swooped the financial actors. Uh, and they started buying up these historic buildings and converting them into short term rentals. So on the one hand, there was this sort of move to gentrify that might that you and I might agree was a good thing. I mean, the old women that were living there running these old quaint cafes wanted to be able to make a living and have a peaceful life and not have this drug and prostitution there. 
But did they want to be displaced by big financial actors turning the accommodations into short-term rentals? Of course not. And I mean, there's a... And then a, there also the, the rents for all these small cafes are suddenly so much more expensive. Precisely. So people can't... So the old businesses are going down. Exactly. Which is also changing the character of the whole of the whole city. Exactly. And I mean, I was I was in Porto last summer, mm. also in Dispo, and and you could you could sense that it was like a death kissed yes. a city yeah. where there were a lot of empty buildings uh, you know and, and a lot of the communities were pushed out yeah so exactly. it's, it's really sad this porto story goes for barcelona yes. goes for many other cities of course but we were also visiting the high line mm. in new york mm-hmm. and the high line is it's interesting because before we went that you I, you also you always talked about the the role of the architects and in, in around the High Line, it's a lot of you know High Line is an, an old um, railway line in the in the east of Manhattan, and it's and it's a very, it's a very cool place because it was in you know in the eighties it was like um, a cruising place for for gay yeah. people they were hanging out there and up so you can walk up this this like. Uh, uh, railway line up, so a little bit higher up over the city, and then they, they there was a, there was about to to put them down, and there was this this little little activist group started to want to, to turn it into a right. public park. It's an extremely cool project, but boom, it kicked off. It became a world sensation, and what happened? Hotel, luxury condos were building all exactly. along yeah. the High Line. And then we went to meet the friends of the High Line. Mm. And what mm. was the story, Leilani? What, what did they tell us? Uh, one of the things that I think is so interesting is one of the founders of the High Line, Robert Hammond, has said, and they told us this when we spoke with them, that they feel that the High Line is not a success. Now, this is a place that millions of tourists visit. I mean, I've walked to High Line many times. It's wonderful. But they, the friends of the High Line, say it's not a success. And the reason is because they they believe that in developing those railway lands, they asked the wrong question. They asked, what can we do with this land? You know, how can we repurpose this? And they they now realize what they should have asked is, what does the community near the High Line need? And of course, the community near the High Line is uh, there's a there are uh, social housing projects or public housing in the U.S. right near the High Line. They do not use the High Line and they do not benefit from the High Line. And so I thought that reflection of the friends of the High Line was so important. And they said that subsequently, they've been working on High Line type projects in other cities. And they're asking that other question, which is, you know, really important Mm -hmm. question, what do communities need? But you know what shocked me? That that none of these architects buildings around the High Line, none of them have paid a penny to support the High Line. So the High Line is now right. a public park, and it's also a Friends of the High Line, so people can donate money. None of them have paid nothing. So they are all, they're all exploiting. They're sucking the values out of this, what the community that's created. Right. And I think that's, for me, this is like, it's so important to understand that it is actually people and community that creates values yeah. in cities. It's the cool bar owner it's a cool restaurant owner it's the mm. shop being people you know it's they they create the vibrant city 
and and they should also be able to benefit exactly. for it, from it. But then you have other people coming in. And then, I, I mean, I've heard something in the U.S. which is like, it's so scary. You know, there was a sign on a wall outside San Francisco saying, bike lanes, white oh, lanes. right, yes. Meaning, so it means that, for God's sake, don't give us a bike lane because then the white people will right. move in. So, so there is actually some kind of movement in the U.S. saying it's green enough. We don't right. want the park. We don't want the bike lane because if it comes, mm. we will have to move, you know. And can you think of that very idea of you have, a, you have a city, you want to make it better. We as a community, we work to make our city better. And then when we've been successful in making our city safer and, and more beautiful, then we're yeah. all kicked out. Yeah. Because this is what happens with Michael Lewis Johnson, the, the musician at the bar in Toronto. He was a part of making his community cooler. And then, boom, yeah. you're out. And, and you can imagine if this applies on thousands or thousands of people in the city. So you make the city better, but all the people who created this cool city are all out. Exactly. But it's also, I mean, we have to, I think what you raise is so important. We have to address th- how illogical the green enough you know, no bike lane um, movement and so far as it's a movement is, it, that is illogical. What we need to do is to figure out a way to allow bike lanes everywhere, more green parks, um, you know, et cetera, without allowing people to be displaced from their communities. So how do you do that? You have to regulate, right? You have to regulate. Exactly. It's a- it's, you're totally right because it, it, it provokes me so much. You know, I made a film yeah. called Bikes Versus Cars, so I'm really into making cities yeah. more sustainable. But, you know, sustainable cities need to be also socially right. sustainable. It's not only about the environment. It's also about people. And, and if the financial actors who are so strong, if they don't care mm-hmm. about people, then... Politics have to care about people, and that leads to some kind of regulation. I can't see any other way, because if they don't self-discipline, I mean, it would be nice if they could, but then it it wouldn't be Achelius Mm. or anybody else, because they just want to squeeze out as much money as possible. Yeah. I mean, I think, just to go back to the the role of architects in the High Line, I I would love, and maybe we should do a podcast about architects and but I would love to engage architects more to talk about um, you know what role can they play or should they play uh, when they're approached to uh, develop a piece of land and do they need to be asking what does this community need and can they be pushing back on um, a little bit to say you know hey it's actually not beneficial to the community around the High Line for us to build starchitecturally designed buildings each unit of which costs over 20 million dollars that's not that's not going to necessarily benefit the community or you know I I think that's an interesting question so uh, architects out there uh, please write to us we actually now have an email address and it's pushback at wgfilm.se pushback at wgfilm.se write to us architects and tell us what we should how we should focus on an episode on <laughs> the role on your trade the yes. architects so uh, I think we should go to Net- Notting Hill and listen to, mm. to Nicholas Burton, who is, is an amazing man and also um, a Grenfell fire survivor. Uh, but he talks about 
what happens in his community in Notting Hill in London. I was born just five minutes from here, and in the 70s and 80s and 90s, I've seen the whole area change. You know, some pop stars and people moving into the area because they, they like the, the vibe. The vibe is really cool. The people who've seen the, the film, they come over from all around the world. They want to see where the blue door is. They want to see this, the, the bookshop. It became a very, very trendy place to, to live. And then the new school and new leisure center, that's going to attract the, the wealthy people to come down to the area. And then they start buying up properties. Don't need to live there. But, you know, because it's a um, fantastic investment for them. Better than putting it in the bank. Mm. <laughs> Better than to put it in the bank. Nicholas, you're, you're a sweet man. It's nice to hear your voice again. Um, yeah, Notting Hill. It's like, it's, I think it's a very interesting, iconic London neighborhood because it's, it's very diverse and they have the carnival, like a Caribbean carnival. It's like a classic London event. And now everybody who is a part of this carnival, they're almost all Crazy. kicked out. Yeah. And and when the the social housing estates were built in the 70s and the 80s uh, in this area, they were surrounded with really fierce mm. slums. Now these estates, like the estates where Grenfell was, are surrounded with homes that are they are sold for five million pounds or even more you know so it's 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 totally extreme yeah and we need to be clear i've seen it in my work it's not that i that i think there shouldn't be a natural flow of people leaving an area and coming into an area of course you know you hear about this neighborhood oh that's a good neighborhood to live in you know you might seek to live there but governments have made it quite possible and very attractive to treat housing as an investment, to give tax breaks to people who have uber amounts of money that can be invested into housing. And and so that's not organic. That is created by governments. The the So just to be like, I, I don't want to be perceived as thinking or as someone who thinks, oh, no one should ever move from one neighborhood to another neighborhood or you shouldn't seek... Uh, a nice neighborhood of of course that's going to happen but there's a sort of organic way that can happen and then there is the very highly structured way that governments have invited in financial actors to reap profits off of mm. land we we talked about this in a previous episode the one about uh, corruption the that's new right. normal so i mean most of the of the houses in, in notting hill for example are, are bought from tax yeah. havens so we we don't even know who the owners are of these these ha- right. these houses, and and also Roberto Saviano explained to us that the 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 criminal money have an interest of pushing up the prices because so they they sell and buy between different tax havens so they actually can they have an interest to to buy at a very high price because then they can mm-hmm. hide more money. So and this is affecting the community of Notting Hill, and of course, as 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 Luke in we hear of the 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 mechanic we hear in the trailer, Luke Narcisse, he says that there was like a politician telling him that he, if you can't afford to live in Notting Hill, yeah. you should just go. 
So yeah. what do you say I, about that? I mean, as in your role as a human rights, human rights expert, what do you say? Yeah, I've heard that a lot. Um, not so much from governments, but certainly from people in the real estate industry. If you can't afford it, you know, what are you doing here? I mean, Luke had deep ties to that community and he should be able to remain and that's human rights is very much about that it people not being displaced from their communities that's part of the human right to housing he, he's living with his wife and son in right. a one bedroom that's the only thing he can afford he, he works he works has in his own mechanic shop he's he's, mm. he's a hard worker you know he's he's a very very cool guy but still it's too expensive and his his older kids are They, they couldn't afford to stay in the neighborhood. What it exposes is the imbalance between protections for tenants and local residents and incentives for financial actors in the area of real estate. Tenants are very poorly protected the world over. This is not unique to Notting Hill. Um, you know, they're not provided with long-term leases at affordable rents. Affordability hasn't been privileged, right? It hasn't, governments haven't said, mm. we want to make sure that people can afford where they're living. And governments haven't been saying, oh, incomes are not rising in the same way that rents are rising. We better make sure that rents stay down low. I don't hear government saying that ever. No, no, but it's interesting because we, when, you know, in the film, we also visit Kreuzberg yes. in Berlin, uh, which is like a very classic Berlin working class neighborhood with a lot of Turkish immigrants is famous for that. And also a lot of anarchists. And 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 now the rents were for new new rents was up like 70 yeah. percent, you know, over a few. So people people couldn't afford to live there any longer. It totally changed the, the neighborhood. And and I we talked to, with a with a politician in the neighborhood. He said he was trying all the ways to to stop this. And you think maybe we should make the UNESCO declare Kreuzberg as a cultural heritage. You know, like I mean, I, I would say the same right. for Notting Hill. Mm -hmm. You know, you because the, the culture created in these neighborhoods are really valuable for yes. the cities. You know, it's like. What what would London be without Notting Hill and Berlin without Kreuzberg and my also my own town without right. my neighborhood, which is also where the vibe is. So and so, can you let criminal money? Can you let uh, Blackstone or Achelius decide the future of our cities? Shouldn't that be in the hands of mm -hmm. the people of the cities? A simple question from a just a filmmaker. <laughs> anyway, in the film, in the film. We have our the love of of our lives, uh, the amazing professor yes. Saskia Sassen, and and let's listen. There is some clips from the film, a little bit more that, that were also from the outtakes from the the material. Let's listen to Saskia. And so when I use when I hear people today saying it's gentrification, one reaction, an ironic reaction, is if only. It's much deeper than that. It's much more foundational. Because you're really talking about, uh, you know, buying what is the last public access bit of terrain mm. where we can all, you know, that we can all make a claim on, so to speak. I do think that what we see today in these last 10 years, this really less than that, last five years, this buying up of big properties in, this, in, our, in these cities is not gentrification. I think that is something else. That is truly, if I have to put it brutally, that's a land grab. 
A land grab is different from gentrification. A land grab, basically, you have expelled the others. So I would make a distinction between this notion of the gentrifying of cities, which creates its own problems, from this land buying, you know, in the form of buildings that we see today. She's amazing. So that's kind of, now we have, uh, I, I like, because we are actually, you know, I, I, I'm not happy with the term land uh, gentrification. No. And maybe land grabbing is not the ideal one, but it's, I think the, we understand the that's brutality right. much more with the words of, of, uh, of Saskia. But you listeners out there, write to us and say what you think about gentrification and use our new email address, pushback at wgfilm.se. Then we can start to talk to each other. And of course, you should also always bombard us on, on Twitter because you can go for my name, Frederick Gerten, or Leilani Farah, or Push the <laughs> Film, or, or Leilani's uh, amazing organization, maketheshift.org. Uh, make the shift. Is it on Twitter? It is. It is. Or it's the make shift. the shift. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Make the shift. So we have to make the shift. I, I, Frederick, just to go to what Saskia said, one of the things that I really think is so important is she talks about the brutality and that land grabbing, as she calls it, is so much about expelling people. And and I do think that's right. I think the financial actors who are moving into the buildings like Derek's building in Harlem um, are they really do have as their business model removing people because that's one way in which they can raise the rents and get more profits. Um, and one of the things I love about Push is whenever we do our the post-screening you know, conversations, people will... We did. Uh, we did. We still do them. <laughs> we do them by Zoom. Yeah, um, that's true, yeah. You know, people will start a question and they'll use the word gentrification and then they'll correct themselves. So the film is having a good impact <laughs> in that way. It's getting people to really think through, well, what is this phenomenon really and I, I I know the term financialization one is hard for non-English speakers to say and it's cumbersome but I like it because it focuses on the fact that this is a financial transaction and and that's what's happening here gentrification has a kind of old world sound to it the gentry um, there's something about financialization that sounds sharp and cruel to me and it also tells us that it's a new energy a new kind of people exactly. coming into the area so it's so that's what we also understand when we did push is that you know blackstone which we now talk a lot about they entered into the housing business in 2011, mm. 2012. So it's only eight years ago. They are the biggest landlord on the planet, and they are still mm. really big. So, and all these Achaeus, whatever you name them, they are they are they've been growing since the last financial mm. crisis. And this again is the moment for them. So we need to keep talking, and we need to keep pushing back. Right. I really love what Hope said uh, in her in the clip that we played where she said, I've been studying geography for five years and no one in my school ever mentioned Blackstone. It's such a great, she had this awakening, you know, by watching Push. Very cool. But I didn't know anything about Blackstone when I started to make the film. So I think it's, it's to put the light on these, uh, these new actors is yeah. really important. And we also need, we need to understand them, how they function and how mm -hmm. they operate. Because then we can also 
pushed back in a better way. Absolutely. So we are running. Is this episode number nine? It is. Yeah, and we are we are growing. So friends out there, uh, you know, there is. We don't have any budget for making this. We only do it because we don't make any other money at this moment, <laughs> because everything <laughs> is just locked down. So we're just trying to to spend our time in in a in a nice way. So we need your support. There is actually now. Um, a patron account where you can you can support us with some money and you can find it through you know it's you go to patreon.com and then you look for pushback talks uh, and tell your friends tell your friends about the existence of our podcast because we need to be strong to be able to to keep going we still aim to publish every friday so we are we keep ambitious it's of course crazy no, it's good. It's it got to keep the conversation going. How do we make change? You know, I always say, yeah, we make change by keeping the conversation going. It's actually one of our previous podcasts, the one about Oatly and Blackstone. So Blackstone buying yes. into a big oat milk brand here, based here in Malmo, and and that podcast has been taking off a lot lately. So yes. it's is uh, there an update, Frederick? No, Anything it's just I, I I I wrote an 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 op-ed in in a newspaper here in town, and and it became a big debate. And now I, I published it again on Facebook, and I get I don't know six seven thousand shares on Facebook. So it's it's kind of intense, and mm -hmm. I and I find it some way uh, hopeful because it means that people start to to understand you know to connect the dots on how the world is functioning you know mm -hmm. you and i think it's also in the case of of this company oatly it's also the divide between the brand and the people you know building the brand and the boardrooms yeah you know the boardrooms are different kind of people ma mainly men and they their logic is something totally different it's always about pushing up the values, you know, uh, growing strong and get closer to the exit. The exit mm -hmm. is like the thing, because when then when you can exit with a ton of money, then you're a real guy. Right. And that's sad. And and uh, for the people who are very in love with this brand, it's it's even more sad because mm -hmm. it's a lot of good people. And, and this brand, they, they, they built it through the baristas, you know, they, wherever right. they enter, they entered with, with the cool coffee shops. And they were <laughs> at, you know, when I, we went to, to, to the Sheffield Dock Fest for the UK premiere of the film in June last year, yep. it was uh, Oatly inviting people for, for coffee with, with right. their milk in. So it's, it's um, they, they really wanted to be a part of our world. But they, they didn't tell the boardroom, you know, <laughs> the boardroom went somewhere else. Bit sad. I love the divide, though, where Oatly has been trying to say this is for the good of the of the planet, inviting Blackstone in. This is good for the company. This is and the people are just saying from what you're telling me. No, we don't buy it. We don't want it. We don't think this is good for us or for the company or the planet. Pretty cool. That's how it works. So the, it, it it can be punished if you if you talk widely and smoothly, and then you don't. It's not reflected in your actions. And if That's you right. work together with people who actually make the rent much more, you know, imagine these coffee shops, the, the cold coffee shops, when the Blackstone model is applied on their neighborhood, 
the price That's goes right. up for their rent, you know, so it's like it's so and now Oatly is working with the people who are making their life more expensive. Bad thinking. Anyway, a pleasure to talk to you, Miss Farah. <laughs> Likewise, <laughs> Mr. Gerton. Um, you are my favorite advocate, I must say. And um, oh. I'm looking forward to, to talk to you again very soon, like next week. Me too. Okay, take care. Bye, Frederick. Bye. Thank you.